Welcome to the Evolve Pod, brought to you by Evolve Wellbeing Group. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of the Evolve Pod. I'm here today with Patch or Patrick Foster, ex professional cricketer who has been through some quite serious uh, addictive struggles in his life. Um, something I've suffered with myself, as, as many of the listeners know, and I wanted to bring you this story, having been sort of made aware of it a few months ago, because I really think it's a, a really powerful story that we can all learn from. Um, so Patch is an ex-professional cricketer who now works for um, Epic Risk Management, which is a gambling addiction and awareness company. So Patch, there's... A, lots of stuff already there that I'm really excited to get into but first of all thank you so much for coming on how are you how was your weekend uh yeah it's it's a pleasure thanks very much for having me it's it's great to chat with you and as I've said previously I'm delighted to support what you're doing so I think it's it's awesome um and hopefully um my story and and kind of what I do now um might help one person and, and if that's the case then it's worth it weekend was good um sun was shining yeah very uh, nice it was it was rather dominated by uh playing cricket which obviously i still do and love doing um it was a bit harder in the heat but uh yeah it was a, it was a great weekend thanks cool it's really nice to hear you know i've mentioned already an ex-professional cricketer and obviously had some struggles through that process which we're going to get really stuck into it's really nice to hear that you're still playing cricket and that there's still that love and affinity for something that you obviously started at quite a young age and really, you know, saw the best sides of and you're able to continue that. That's awesome. Did you win? Uh, yeah, we actually managed to win both games, which hey, is nice. not, not always the case. But yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's great to be playing again. I mean, I've kind of rediscovered my love for, for a game that I've always been so passionate about, which I lost for a while. And as we'll probably touch on later, it's a really important part of my recovery. Um, and, and yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's nice to be playing, but, uh, yeah, it was a bit tougher. I, I still try and bowl and it's a bit harder when it's, um, weather like that, but I'm not going to complain when the sun's shining. That's for sure. Absolutely. So how did you get into cricket then? Was it something that sort of a, was it a family environment or something that you, you just kind of found that you, you had a passion for? Where, where did it all start? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't always cricket, so to speak. It was just sport generally. Um, I've got a sport mad dad, um, which probably is, is where it came from. Uh, I was actually born and brought up in, in Kenya. You wouldn't believe it looking at me, but we lived a, a kind of very active lifestyle when we were younger. We were always outside and I just, from a very young age, just loved sport and everything about it. I played anything and everything. Um, I always had one dream in life, and that was to be a professional sportsman. I didn't really care what sport it was in. Um, but I guess when I was about between the ages sort of 11 and, and 13, that's when I started to sort of, it was obvious that that was where I probably I was most talented. Um, and I started to do well. And it was really from that moment on that I kind of started to believe that that might become a possibility. Um so yeah, that that's really where it where it came from, and and still now I'm I'm sport mad, and will play anything and everything. But cricket just happened to be the uh, the one that I was probably best at. And so you said you were brought up brought up in Kenya. What age did you come over to the UK? Yeah, we moved back in '93, so I was only six. Um, oh, right, okay. So I only spent the first six years of my life there, and it was an amazing place to to be brought up I, I kind of wish I'd been there for a bit longer because I don't remember as much of it as as I'd like to um but it's a, it's a great country and, and one that my family are kind of my brother actually lives there now he's gone back to live there as a teacher but yeah it's a place that we all love and great place to to kind of be brought up and um then we moved back to the UK and and have been here since so when when you um Talking about sort of coming back to the UK and really sort of then realizing that cricket was a viable option for you. You've always had this dream of being a professional sports person, and you know identifying cricket was that the the way the, the direction you were going to take. What was the sort of pathway then, of sort of eleven years old to then you know taking that step to becoming a professional? 
And was it was there sort of any sort of undue stress put upon you at that age to get to that point, or was it something that you really enjoyed all the way through? Uh, I mean, I was incredibly fortunate um, in my kind of background because my parents, my dad was a headmaster of a private school for 30 odd years. Uh, so I went to the school that he was headmaster of as a, as a youngster. And then I actually went on to very well-known independent boarding school for five years in, in Northamptonshire. And, and my pathway was probably a bit different because I had accessibility to incredible facilities, coaching at, at the schools I went to. So it was actually through school cricket. I didn't really play much representative sport when I was younger. I just played for the school really and played everything and anything. And then when I was 15, uh, and at boarding school, it, it changed because on the back of kind of doing so well in, in school cricket um, and there being links between the school and, and the kind of county, I I then got identified as, a, as somebody who, who had that potential. And I was put on the North Hans Academy when I was 15. And, and that was that was kind of the point where where it changed and it went from uh, being a, a passion to right, this is something that actually people think that you've, you've got ability in and, and you could make into a career. I'm going to be honest. Yes, you have to make sacrifices, but I was just living my dream that the, the opportunity to kind of combine it with my studies and it was tough at times, but ultimately it was, uh, it was an absolute joy, really. Um, and I mean, it was slightly difficult because we were living in, uh, Derbyshire at the time and and North Lance was where I was playing and school was so I kind of had to travel a fair bit but um, there wasn't any undue pressure my parents were incredibly supportive they recognized that's what I wanted to do but they didn't sort of interfere or get in the way um, and that pathway was was pretty straightforward up until the point when I was 18 uh, and then I had to kind of make a decision um, well, what to do now? Um, but I got offered a contract when I left school, and and so it was, it was a no-brainer as far as I was concerned. And and living that dream, I only did it for for a little bit. But I look back on now, and I'm quite proud of of what I achieved. I mean, at the time, uh, in the immediate aftermath, and I still do it now. I kind of describe myself very much as a as a failed professional cricketer. Um, and for all intents and purposes, I was. I was pretty useless uh, relatively but looking back now I'm, I'm proud of what I achieved. Yeah well you followed your dream you followed your heart and you, you got to that point where you had that contract and you you were that professional sports person that you'd always dreamt of being as a boy and I think you you know you quite rightly are very proud of that uh, and what's it what's life like as an 18 year old or well, 18 year old lad getting paid to do something that you genuinely love that's you know that professional sport you know you're getting money to do something you really passionately enjoy that probably comes quite naturally to you as well and from the way you described it it's been you know not the not the easiest of pathways but pretty easy in comparison to some other people what what what's life like there is it you know the sort of big pay packet is it kind of like it's quite fun I imagine quite enjoyable quite a cool way of life yeah, I mean, certainly when when you're that age, it was. I mean, it's a, I didn't get paid huge amounts of money to do it. There's a lot more money in the game now, but but even that, when when you're young, you you've kind of got to prove yourself and and earn it. In my situation, it felt a little bit like a shot to nothing. Um, I'd left school. I had a place at university. I got signed a contract for two years. It was well, let's just go out and enjoy it and see if you can make the most of it uh, it it didn't matter to me it, it sounds strange it wasn't the be all and end all like it is for some people um in terms of kind of future and progression but it was for me in terms of kind of my men mentality um i was always very hard working I, I wasn't the most talented person in the world uh, i made the most of my ability um, I had a pretty good work ethic, work ethic, and I, I trained hard. And I, I just thought, well, let's give myself the best chance, really, um, when I first started. But you had to pinch yourself because you were playing um, with and, and against people that were kind of heroes. But also, it it was tough um, because 
people are really good um yeah. and it's it's a very cutthroat environment it's incredibly competitive it's pretty fickle um and there are so many people in the same situation as as you are um and i think a lot of people think it's a kind of rite of passage and that it will just happen you have to make it happen um so it, it, i'm not going to pretend it was all sort of glamorous and yeah. sort of trawling around the country staying in in hotels at, at the time was i enjoyed it because it was novel but if i'd done it for 15 years it might not have been um but at that time it was everything about it was great really so knowing what you know now about yourself and and the addictive traits that you've you've got, um, looking back on those years from sort of eleven upwards to to that you know those two years in the professional game, could you were there any sort of signs and symptoms of that addictive traits, that addictive personality coming out at that young age, or was it a little bit more towards the time when you talk about that high pressure environment of the of the professional game that you started to realize these sort of addictive behaviors i think it definitely manifests itself from a young age i always had a very addictive personality i was very obsessive compulsive i was a massive perfectionist i wanted everything to kind of go exactly as you wanted to but also when i when i wanted to do something or achieve something and put my mind to it I wouldn't stop until I'd done it um so yeah it very definitely manifested itself from a young age and I I don't think I had the self-awareness to recognize that actually that potentially when I then started to engage with addictive substances and behaviors that the, the two would cross over in the way that they did and and that's part of the reason why I do what I do now is is to try and help people or educate people so that they're more aware of it. I always thought having an addictive personality was a was a kind of bad thing, but actually a lot of the most successful people in the world have those traits. You just got to channel them in the right way. And and I now know that when I was younger and high achieving, I channeled them in the right way. And for a long time, I didn't. And and hopefully now uh, it's kind of flipped on its head, and I'm doing that again. Uh, but yeah, I, I think looking back, I. I could you can see it in yourself but I probably wasn't as aware as, as I should or could have been I think it's really powerful what you said there about you know addictive behaviors or addictive traits can be perceived as being very very negative but it quite often it's just the direction in which those traits are sort of uh guided that is the negativity you know the 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 substances or the behaviors there's lots of positive behaviors that we can channel all that because everybody's got a tiny bit of addiction in them in one way or another it's human nature some to a higher degree than others but i think if you yeah if we can if we can really empower that if you channel those behaviors to for as a force for good you can do some really epic stuff you can really be inspiring you can really achieve it doesn't have to be this negative connotation all the time it's really it's really powerful to hear someone who's been through it just to sort of say that and really emphasize that um so your kind of addiction that I've, that I've sort of read about and heard you speak about is the is the gambling when 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 and how did that sort of start was it can you remember a particular event where you were suddenly like hooked in yeah I'm unlike a lot of sort of people nowadays because of, of the way of the world gambling wasn't actually part of my life until I was 19 I can honestly say I'd never placed a bet before uh, I wasn't interested in it, it wasn't part of anything that my family my friends at the time did uh, and then I went to university and that was the kind of turning point um, and like a lot of things it just started as a bit of fun uh, with my mates and it was it was a huge amount of fun but I first placed a bet at university I put a two pound bet in a roulette machine um, in a betting shop on a Saturday morning and, and the first bet I ever placed won um, it was a two pound bet put it all on pounds and that was kind of my life changing forever um because it won which i think probably was was a significant factor but you you're not addicted immediately but gambling and i i always say hit it off from that moment on um onwards and it was it was that moment really it was the first time i did it um that everything changed so yeah there's, there's very definitely a, a time where I can I can remember it um but yeah 
And then how did that sort of the behavior over the coming months and, and years, how did it manifest? How did it change you in terms of your behaviors? You know, I've, I've put down in my notes about deception or, or denial. What does yeah, that mean? I mean? What does that mean for you from your experience? I think it's very easy for people to sort of say that, that they were they're kind of addicted. I certainly wasn't. It was it was sort of a lot of fun. I, I I loved it. I loved everything about it. But for me, gambling and I now know this, of course, but gambling was like a a drug for me. Um, super competitive. It was all about winning and losing, and it gave that to me on tap. Um, it, it gambling's all about instant response, instant gratification, which is is something that I'd always wanted, but also was something that sport gave me and when I wasn't playing sport which was almost an addiction in itself it was the closest thing that I could find to it and it was combining my two greatest loves which was sport and betting and I I could do the two together so you you put all those things together and and you can see why what happened happened but I guess the the biggest thing is it would be very easy for me to to blame gambling on the end of my cricket career it absolutely wasn't the reason why I didn't make it as a professional sportsman I'm I'm the first to admit that I I didn't make it as a professional sportsman because I ultimately I wasn't good enough um but gambling certainly didn't help because it 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 was the only thing that I ever had that got in the way slightly as a bit of a distraction um and then obviously a year after sort of starting to gamble a lot um I got released and it was that moment that was the really the defining moment in in kind of my addiction because I found that moment so difficult to deal with um and it hit me really hard not just because it was the first time that anyone had told me I wasn't good enough at something but also my kind of dream was was gone everything I'd ever wanted that I had a taste of wasn't there anymore I went back to university and and as I just alluded to it was now the thing that I could do that was as close to the feelings I used to get from playing and it was just that kind of buzz replication it was also an element of a kind of form of escapism because it helped me kind of subdue the feelings that I was trying to come to terms with that things hadn't worked out and, and all these things. And and that moment really kind of accelerated the, the process. But I always thought going through university, I had access to money. I had access to time. I didn't think it was a problem. And I always thought, well, do you know what? I'm strong enough to stop when I need to. Uh, I'm yeah. in control of this. If I ever need to just stop doing it, I will. And 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 that was obviously one of the biggest mistakes that I made along with, with everything else. And kind of as time went on, um, I then had a big win uh, in December 2010. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't appreciate with things like gambling is when you win is when you're most vulnerable because that feeling of kind of invincibility, the belief that it will happen all the time. But actually the worst thing about it for me was the the kind of, I described it like being my drug of choice. The worst thing about it now is when I didn't win that amount of money, I didn't get the same rush buzz feeling that that moment gave me. And I basically spent the next 10 years trying to replicate that elusive feeling. and yeah it it was at that point that I really did lose control um and it it just spiraled from there really it's a really interesting little say little sort of it's 10 years of your life um not lost the gambling because you're here now and you're able to talk about it in a really eloquent way and it's actually empowering a hell of a lot more people to make better choices and better decisions and more educated decisions but I want to go back to that point where you lost your contract with the cricket, with the cricket club. And I think for people to understand a bit more about addictions, it's at a time when you've got Patch the cricketer, you know, super confident, enjoying, loving life, loving playing cricket, loving the challenge, relishing the challenge, suddenly being told you're not good enough, essentially, and um, we're not going to employ you anymore. And you talked just before that about the love of sport and gambling and how you could merge them together. 
you know, it's a, I'm sure you would agree, it's a perfect opportunity for that addictive side of you just to go, ha, here's my opportunity. I'm in here. Look how look how much fun we can have. This is going to be, this is great. It's not a real opportunity. And I've been there with various things before, you know, when you get hit down, when your true sort of persona is obliterated, the, the addictive side steps in and almost kind of, it's sort of almost saying sort of, I've got your back. Let's roll with this. Let's have some fun. And it's so, as you've put really eloquently put that 10 years of thinking about being in control, thinking you've got it under control, you know, I can sort this out. I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm good. I, I can do it. To the point where you said, you know, and even you win big, it's still not enough. You still yeah, want more. It's, it's so true. And I, I mean, I always describe it as, as kind of my safe place, but it was the most dangerous place that I could be. <laughs> yeah. um, because honestly when I was gambling I didn't have another worry in the world I I only thought about gambling really I didn't have to think about anything else and and certainly in the immediate aftermath of of any kind of adversity that I had to deal with and various different things happen in in life and life has a, a way of throwing at you inevitable curveballs um that that you've got to deal with my way of dealing with any one of those was to run away from it and and gamble and and obviously that then became kind of medicinal because it helped the first time i did it when i was 20 and i'd just been released yes it helped in the short term course it didn't in the long term but then every time it happened it it was just my kind of default um and i didn't really then understand what the consequences could be or the fact that it it would get bigger and badder as it were and and it did and it it just over the course of time it, it just totally consumed me um and everything just just happened on a on a bigger and and bigger scale um and then i I always kind of describe the next stage as as that stage of oh well i'll always be able to control this and i'll stop when i need to and then there comes a point where you think okay i do need to stop um and i think the really scary bit about it was i couldn't um and the worst thing about an addiction i say to people it drives me mad when i hear people say well why didn't you just stop Mm. um because i'm thinking to myself do you know what nobody wanted to stop more than me i just couldn't um and then it became actually the problem wasn't recognizing that i had one it was everything else it was the consequences well what's going to be the consequence of x y or z what are people going to say or think dealing with the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt, all those things that became the problem. Um, and it was just a, a kind of vicious spiral and, and a web that I just couldn't break free of. Can I ask you something in, in respect to those sort of 10 years when it was kind of just getting into a bigger and bigger and bigger pit? Did, did you ever vocalize it to anybody? Um, yeah there there were various there were various times um I, I changed careers in in 2011 and i i guess i always talk about regrets i've got a lot my biggest regret is in 2011 i kind of had the opportunity there when i left london and my job in the city and and life was spiraling out of control i i had the opportunity then when i moved locations and and moved jobs and changed my career to to say something then and I didn't and and that's probably what I regret most I didn't tell my parents at that point um but then further down the line there there were times where people started to to recognize that something really wasn't right and they wanted to help me a lot of the time I just pushed them away there were times where I came very close to to kind of bearing all when I did bear anything I just didn't explain the extent of it. I just kind of said as little as I could or, or lied about the extent of it. That's the um, addict. That's the addict, isn't it? Sort of almost kind of protecting itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, there were various moments that you kind of look back on and you think, well, of course I should have done it then or I had the opportunity mm. to. I just honestly could not 
bring myself to do it um, because I just was so worried about what people's reaction would be, I think, more than anything else. But also, I always thought I could be a bit of a hero. I, I think it's, it's that was my ego. It was, well, well, you can deal with the problem yourself. You're strong enough to deal with the problem yourself. But also there was an element of I'm only ever one big win away from getting myself out of the financial trouble and, and that will happen at some point so you you add all those things together and it's no wonder that I went on for as long as I did you, you touched upon it there and previously about the the facing up to what you're going through and everything that you build up in your head that goes along with that the guilt the shame the financial troubles which is quite synonymous with plenty of addictions um, but particularly with with gambling, um, how bad did it get? And you know, at what what point? You said you you reached you you were able to talk a couple of times, but you sort of you kept you, you never mentioned it as bad as it was. But how bad did it get to the point there where you some you thought, Do you know what, fuck this, I've had enough. I need to sort myself out, and I need to get some proper help. Yeah, I mean, in terms of over that time, it got really bad. Um, the worst bit was the mental side of things, the impact that it had on my mental health. But of course, that was the bit that I was least worried about. The The priority for me was always the financial side of things. And so the times where I, I kind of reached out for help in inverted commas was when financially I was in a position where I almost couldn't go on because I had no money. And sadly, he can't live without any money. So they were the points where I I kind of, I, I never re really wanted to, I knew by letting on my biggest secret to the people closest to me, that was probably my the, the biggest chance of me getting found out. So I tried to avoid it. And when I sort of dropped the ball, as it were, it was when I asked those closest to me, but it was when I was in financial desperation. Uh, often I was bailed out financially, which people at the time thought was the right thing to do. And, and I never, ever criticised anyone for doing it because ultimately they were worried about me and, and, and they thought it was it was the right thing to do, but it only enabled me to do it. It wasn't really until at the end in March 2018 when, when my world came crashing down that it had all got so bad. Uh, the money, the, the mental health, the fact that I, I'd been found out. My biggest secret was about to, there was no escaping it at that point. And I kept going until the point where there was literally no way out. And the only way out, sadly, was not to be here at all. And, and I'm just glad that I didn't take that decision as close as I was to it that was what it was for me it was it was like make or break it was one or the other and um i say to people now you, you just don't want to ever let it get to the point that i was in or at but you can see why so many people do because of how hard it is to to get yourself out of it it's almost this self-perpetuating um claustrophobia if that's the right word you don't exactly. want to tell anyone you don't want anyone to find out you're afraid of what everyone will think and, and this goes from for you from 2011 I think all the way through to 2018 and without sharing this which is why I asked about the, whether you verbalized it to, to anybody because without sharing it these thoughts and emotions just become so so big so dark and so like all-encompassing that I'm not surprised listening to your story that you got to that point where there was either like more for my only choice now is to not be here. And that, that, that's, that's all I can contemplate really. And it's, I, I imagine you sit where exactly where I sit at the moment where five, six years prior to that, if we could get people who are going through the same process now to say to a, just a friend or a parent, they I'm experiencing a little bit of stuff, whatever that stuff is can I help because that person will realize if you speak to the right person there's no shame there's no embarrassment there's no guilt everybody's got shit some people have more more shit than others um but it's about taking that step to try and prevent people getting to that point like you said where you've got to that's a horrible place to be I, I imagine to be in that position of of that's it yeah exactly 
exactly that. Um, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. You've said it brilliantly. That's what, what you want people to do. And actually, people's reaction is so different to what you think it's going to be and, and how you probably played it in your head for the last however long like I did and and it's easy in hindsight to say yeah. what if and if only but actually that's what motivates me to do what I do now because I can say that knowing what I know having been through what I've been through and and that's what that's why I do what I do it because you want somebody to to just see oh well I remember hearing that and maybe I'll try this or I'll do that. And it's not easy, but if you do it, it, it makes the world a difference. And I think I've said it before on various episodes of this part where your friends, you know, family's family, but your friends are friends for a reason. Um, and they're the people there that are, that are around you to open up to as well as your family to talk to and to, to get that support when you really need it. That's what, your true friends are there for as well as, as well as all the good times um so i asked this question to to a few people and i think i already know the answer but you know as someone who's you just had your addiction uh struggles do you think that's always been a part of you do you think that you would have always been addicted to something like we talked about before whether that could have been a positive thing from the beginning or you know, it turned out to be gambling. Do you think that was just that was something that was going to be in you to kind of get that hook, get that endorphin, to to sort of almost self-medicate? Yeah, I do. I I think it's it's certainly part of it. Um, there are there are obviously a lot of theories about addiction and and what causes it, and and I I'm a big believer in in that like a lot of things it's a combination of of all sorts of different things i think there's certainly part of me that is wired that way and it's in me because my addiction and my addictive personality now manifests itself in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways which which shows that it, it never really goes away um but i think also it, it's kind of circumstance um life events trauma all these sort of things add to it maybe accelerate that um but I, I do think when it comes to certain things, if it hadn't have been gambling, then it probably would have been something else. But now looking back, I can totally see why it was gambling. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is part of me. And if if it wasn't, I don't think my addiction would manifest itself any longer, but it does. So, um, yeah, it's just something that, that you have to deal with and that was one of the big parts of rehab for me was accepting that taking ownership of it not being embarrassed of it um obviously i'm not proud of of anything i ever did and i never will be but i have to i have to accept that's the way i am um and i just have to change the the way i behave or how i channel it and that's possible um so that's where i think recovery is possible it's it's change, it's adopting a different mindset as much as anything else yeah and I think you can certainly be proud of where you are now as a consequence of what you've been through yeah Definitely. I I think so and I mean I wouldn't wish what I went through on my worst enemy um but you have to look at the positives where you can <laughs> and I'm certainly a better person for it I mean I'm much stronger but I'm I'm a I'm a much better person. I'm a much nicer person for it. Um, and, and so I, I always look back and I think to myself, well, an awful lot of really bad things came from it, but a few good things came from it. And, and I'll take those positives and, and try and roll with them uh, rather than just focusing on, on all the bad stuff. Yeah. So, so moving forward to sort of today, you, you work for Epic Risk Management, which is sort of... Um all about gambling awareness and addiction awareness particularly with gambling but you also work with the gambling industries as to sort of almost as far as I'm aware kind of keep them tuned into the effects that they potentially can have on on particularly younger men I imagine who get into the realms of where you've got you know taking your career aside what's your thoughts on the gambling industry as a, as a whole yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for people to believe or probably comprehend. I'm not anti-gambling. 
in the sense that I recognize that there's an awful lot of people that gamble and don't have a problem with it, that it is fun. It is a form of entertainment. They are in control of it. Just like drinking alcohol, it's probably something that's social that gives them a rush and a buzz um, and, and hopefully has a positive effect on them. But there are people like me and there unfortunately are an increasing number of people like me who can't control that. My honest opinion of, of the gambling industry is that I think it's it's getting a lot better. Um, I think historically there is no doubting that when I went through the addiction like I did, they didn't have the same level of social responsibility that they now have and, and have to have. I think they probably did take advantage of vulnerable people like me. And so there will always be an element of kind of bitterness. But at the same time, I take full responsibility for my actions and what and what happened. And, and that's important to me in my recovery as much as anything. Um, I use the analogy, it's like being an alcoholic and, and trying to come out and suggesting that every pub should be shut down and nobody should ever be able to do it. I don't think that's the solution. But what there needs to be is there needs to be far greater awareness of the harms that are caused, the addictive nature of some of the products, what can make people turn to it. Um, I, I have the thing I have a fundamental issue with, and, and I'm fairly open in my views around this is, is kind of young people um, and the way that they're exposed to it. Um, and I think that will change, but needs to change really fast. Um, particularly after what's gone on in the last sort of 18 months to two years. But that that's the bit I have a problem with. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it's it's kind of there's there's parts there and, and people people will say to me, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And, and, and I say, well, yeah, but you have to understand that for the majority of people, it, it doesn't have that impact on um but for some it does um, and we need to make sure that we protect them yeah definitely but young people are so impressionable and you know it can sow the seed of having that addiction potentially for life if if, if they're exposed to the the wrong thing at the wrong time or potentially the right thing at the wrong time um and on that theme of young people you know you you've you've experienced the professional sporting world the elite world of, of, of sport do you, do you think there's a correlation between, you know, high performing sport and addiction? Yeah, without doubt. Um, absolutely. I, th I think you're much more vulnerable because for various different reasons, really, not just gambling, but other things. I think the fact that you've also al almost always got access to, to money, um, more money than a lot of people. Um, time. Uh, you lead a very different lifestyle to, to most people. So therefore, you often have a lot more time on your hands because of training schedules and things. But it, it's that kind of competitive element of you, compulsive, obsessive type characteristics, but also often that you do need releases and you do need forms of escapism from what is a very high pressured and quite difficult environment sometimes and and often sadly those are things that are addictive um and, and we see that all the time and i mean there's there's enough people out there now that we know of their stories and, and so we do a huge amount of work in professional sport because part of it is just having the awareness that you are more vulnerable and at least then you can make a bit more of an informed choice or decision if you, if you choose to to engage in whatever way you you do well, I think back to when I was 18, 19, and you know, I've always been sporty, never never been good enough to make it anywhere near professional in, in any sport. But I can imagine being, you know, 18, 19 years old and being paid a, a handsome sum, you know, at that age. So you think you know it all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you actually know not very much at all. Yeah, and I think so now from, I mean, you, you know the industry better than me, but I, I from my, from what I gather, there's, you know, there's a lot more support for young professional sports people, a lot more guidance. 
um, a lot more resource for people to kind of understand their position and their responsibility, but also how to try and get the best out of that opportunity rather than, you know, all the glitz and the glamour that you might think that goes with it and and all the things that follow on from that. Yeah, this, the support is is um, amazing. And there's the player body organisations, the work that they do. Um, I mean, I was very lucky. I was supported hugely by the Professional Cricketers Association and the, the charity connected, the Professional Cricketers Trust. So I'm forever indebted to them. But also the work that they're doing around transition, I think, is never used to happen, I think is huge. Because whatever level you play at, whether you whether you play a tiny bit like me and or you end up having a hugely successful international career, you've got to make that transition at, at some point and that transition is is really hard um often harder for the people that don't really make it like myself i think um and again it comes down to kind of understanding that that moment is is difficult and you need to prepare for it but also you 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 probably need to look after yourself at that point more than than ever before is is powerful but yeah they're doing some amazing stuff and and i think that's making a huge huge difference um but also making sure that that support that they recognize that there are always going to be people that struggle with something and and the support's available and known and and that in itself is is really powerful oh patrick it's great to hear you know all these all the positive stuff that you're getting involved with now to really help you know the a huge wider community of people who who may very well be struggling to to start to create hopefully a better path for themselves. What's the you know top three bits of advice for people who who potentially are struggling with some sort of addictive behaviour? What what would be your top three things to recommend? Yeah, I think it's so easy to say and, and people say it, but I think the best bit of advice you can give anybody is is if you are struggling, is to tell somebody. It, it really doesn't matter who it is. Um, of course, it's it's sort of best if you can tell somebody who, who knows you and somebody in your family or your support network or a friend. But actually, there's so many so many organisations out there. There's help available. It, it really doesn't matter who it is. Just tell someone because I think that's always a bit of a watershed moment. That's the biggest and bravest step. And once you've once you've taken that step you can move forward and until you do that you can't really so that that's my final kind of first foremost biggest bit of advice is is just talk um tell someone a problem shared is a, is a problem halved uh and sometimes you you might tell someone and and it might not be the right person tell somebody else um so that's the first bit the second is that i, I would say that life can get better uh there is always hope however dark that place is and as as someone who is very fortunate really to still be here because i was so close um i didn't think there was a way out i didn't think it was possible to live a normal life i didn't think i could ever get out of the hole that i was in um but you can there is always there is always hope um and there is always a way out um and and i guess the the third thing is it's it's kind of connected to what i just said but recognizing that it's not easy but it's so satisfying and it's so rewarding and it it does make you kind of stronger um if you if you are able able to do it um and i always say to people that i think people i was a classic example i wanted a quick fix there isn't a quick fix for most people it's it's not you tell somebody and life is rosy again and it's all all right it, it, that's not the reality of the situation but if you are able to kind of weather the storm and get through it and come out the other side of it life's actually better um, regardless of what your problem is uh it's it's um yeah it, it's quite empowering um and it's incredibly rewarding but it, it's not easy yeah well you know nothing ever good comes easy right 
No. It's, um, I like the weather, weathering the storm. You know, there's always the storm will always pass. It will yeah. always pass, no matter how long it will, will take. There's always light at the end of it. Um, Patch, thanks so much. I know you've uh, uh, you've got a book coming out. Tell us a little bit more about the book. Yeah, I um, it's an interesting one. I I decided during lock the first lockdown. I can't even remember when it was. March 2020, it must have been. Yeah, I, think. I think so. Yeah. Uh, during the first lockdown, when when we all got kind of hit with this whirlwind, it's, it's how are you going to deal with it? And 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 I recognised that I was probably it was going to be very difficult for for everybody. And I don't think anyone has has not struggled with it. I think if they say they haven't, they're, they're probably not telling the truth um, because it's been tough. And I recognised I was probably more vulnerable than a lot of people and I had to really look after myself and well what are you going to do when a lot of the things that you love doing you can't like a lot of people so I kind of set myself two challenges one was to to try and get fit again lose a bit of weight um, but also because I recognized the kind of physical exercise so important for my mental health and this gave me a kind of perfect opportunity to do it and the other was to to write a book I always thought about doing it and I, I thought well I'm I'm far enough away from it now I think to to kind of do it so during that first lockdown I, I started running uh, and I started writing a book and I managed to achieve um, the latter um, I, I kind of it was very cathartic experience I wrote 85,000 words from start to finish down and and uh, I think it was very raw as a, as a piece of material. And and then one of my brother's great mates, I, I kind of shared the fact that I'd, I'd done this and, and he's a journalist. And I kind of asked his advice, really. I said, look, do you know anything about writing a book? How do I go about doing X, Y or Z? And, and he sort of said, well, can I read it? Um, and he'd always been interested in, in kind of ghost writing a book. And he, he sort of said, can I read it? And he, he read it and he was quite taken aback by it. He knew me, knew my story. But he, he sort of said, look, this could be an incredible book in its current form. It, it probably isn't going to get published like it is. Um, can I, Do you mind if I sort of turn this into a, a project that we kind of go out together and it just seemed like a great idea and, and we did and and next thing we knew we it's been a long process but the next thing we knew was that um uh we needed to get a literary agent and, and we did that and he had some connections and, and david luxton has been incredible on on that front and 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 luckily bloomsbury who are one of the publishers that i'd i'd heard of they they saw something in it and they they backed us and yeah, so it's um, been nearly two years in the making, um, but it's been published in, in February or early next year, um, which is really exciting. Um, I've had a, a mate like everything really in my recovery. I've had amazing support from kind of my family who are, who are behind the idea and, and they know what why I'm doing it. Um, it it's, it's certainly not for the faint hearted, I don't think, but it's um, it's one of those things that I think if somebody picks it up and reads it, it's a cliche, but if they pick up and read it and go, do you know what, that's going to stop me doing what he did, or it's going to help me with somebody in my family, or it's just going to help me change the way I am, then it's worth it. Um, I've certainly not done it to kind of make money um, or or as a kind of self-promoting thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's exciting. It comes quite daunting when your life is in words on paper for the world to to read and see. But it's um, hopefully going to be worth it, and it's been a fun project as well, um, and and an important part of my recovery again because it's been quite cathartic. So uh, yeah. fingers fingers crossed, it's it's a success in in different ways. It's also a tool to keep helping people as well. You know, your yeah. your, your story is a really powerful one, and the more people that can read it. The, you know, the better it's going to be for everybody. Yeah, hopefully. That's kind. Yeah. Well, look, Patch, thanks so much for coming on. I really genuinely appreciate that. It sounds like there's been some really tough, tough times, but I can, for the benefit of the listeners, Patch is sat there with a very satisfied grin on his face, <laughs> which, is a, which is a really cool way to end, end this podcast. But, mate, yeah, thank you. 
um good luck with the book i look forward to uh, to reading that when that one comes out and um yeah just keep on inspiring keep on doing what you're doing because it's it's really really powerful yeah yeah thank thanks you. thanks mate and thanks for having me and as i said at the beginning i think um your story is one of kind of inspiration as well and i think the way that you're talking about it and and different people that you're talking to i've listened to to lots of different of lots of different people now on the podcast and some amazing stories out there that are, that are all different but um i think that they'll help people in so many different ways so so keep up the good work and uh yeah i'll be i'll be following the progress as as we go along and and obviously if it goes without saying that if um somebody listens to this and they think do you know what i i need some help and the only person i want to talk to is is that guy um then please do feel free to to reach out to me on my social media channels or or in whatever way and i'll, I'll do what i can but thanks so much for having me on it's it's been really cool chatting to you just just following up that if anyone does want to get in touch how can they contact you yeah i mean i'm on various like most people i'm on on various different uh social media channels which is often the easiest way um uh patch foster on instagram or at patrick foster 02 on twitter similarly if you go to the epic risk management website there's, there's a kind of help and support section on there um and you can contact me through the through the company so that's probably the the easiest way um but yeah thanks very much for for having me and listening Hey, you're welcome. So everybody, thanks very much again for tuning in. Some really powerful content today. I'm really, really happy that that we've uh, we've caught up with Patch. But yeah, keep on tuning in, keep on liking and sharing. I really appreciate it. And the more we can do to help everybody who's going through some stuff, then 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 that's better for everybody. So have a great week, everyone. And I'll be back uh, probably next week with some awesome content. Take care.